And welcome back to Beyond Damascus, where encounter meets mission. I'm I'm your host today, Aaron Richards, and I'm not joined in studio by my co-host, Dan Demite. He is out today, but man, we have a great show for you today. As you know, Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio, and it's carried across the global EWTN Radio network. We're so excited to be here. You remember the story of St. Paul, right? St. Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it was there that his life was transformed. And something radical happened for St. Paul. Remember, he had this this moment of encounter with a person that he'd never met before. He'd heard about in stories, but he didn't know that his life would be transformed. But his Damascus moment wasn't just a moment. It was a process that began that launched him into a life of mission. And the mission of St. Paul was a mission that transformed the church. And we pray that each of you, our listeners today, will encounter a mission that comes forth from your uh, from that Eucharistic encounter with Jesus, where your lives will be set on mission, where you, too, will transform the church. Uh, I'm so excited today. So Dan's not with me, and we're not even in studio. So if, if our recording sounds a little differently, that's probably why. Um, we're actually, uh, we, we are on location today at... Damascus Catholic Mission Campus in Centerburg, Ohio, and I'm not I'm not solo today. I'm joined in studio in my pretend studio here at Damascus. We're actually we're gathered in the sacristy uh, here because it's the quietest room we have on campus. Um, but I'm joined here with uh, with two guest hosts today, uh, Christopher and Mary Sarah. Hey guys. Hi Aaron. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah. All right, uh, and and uh, friends. Um, today's topic is going to be awesome. So uh, I hope that you're excited for something that's outside of the normal routine because we've got fire for you. Um, we're going to begin in prayer uh, like we always do, and then we'll dive right into uh, to what is going to be an amazing show of, of truly powerful encounter that leads to mission. So let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for every way that you've sought us out and that you have, um, God, that, that you have paved the way for us to have an encounter with you. God, we, we could not do it on our own. We could not seek you on our own. We could not find you on our own. But every moment that we have of interaction with you, God, every moment that we have of transformation is because of your grace and your mercy. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for seeking us out. I pray for all of our listeners today that through the, uh, in, the Eucharistic encounters that will be shared today, um, Jesus, that you'll inspire their hearts uh, to desire transformation for themselves. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Catherine of Siena um, uh, spoke about the fact that if we, all, if we all were who we were called to be, that we would set the world on fire. And St. John Paul II took it up a notch when he said that when we eat U- the Eucharist, when we eat the Eucharist, we eat fire. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I sit with a, uh, a room of young adults or students and, um, and, and we, when we begin to talk about the ways that, that, that their lives have been transformed, when, we, when I sit with seminarians and speak about their, um, why it is that they've made that decision to step into a life on mission, right? Uh, like St. Paul, who encountered the Lord on his way to Damascus, why it is that they have made a decision to change their life. Why it is that they've made a decision to go to a place. <laughs> We're going to say the word Damascus a lot tonight. Why it is that they would go to a place like Damascus to be formed. 
and to be ready. Why, why it is that, that young men would step into formation in seminary, why it is that, that, that people would, would give their lives in service to Jesus. And the answer so often with, that, with, this, with this generation of young people is that they met the Lord powerfully in a moment of Eucharistic adoration. Right, that they met the Lord power powerfully in a moment of, of 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 a holy hour at their local parish. That they met the Lord powerfully. You know, I'll, I'll pray. Uh, I'll speak prophetically right now. That that they met the Lord powerfully at a time of adoration at Catholic Youth Summer Camp. Right, and their lives were transformed, and they were set forth on mission. And today, uh, today, uh, our, our theme for today's session is is a, a reflection and um, and. Uh, testimony of lives that have been transformed through encounter with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Does that sound good? Yeah. We're excited. Okay. <laughs> so uh, why, is this, why is this especially appropriate today? We're actually on location at Damascus because right now, as we speak, um, we, are, we are halfway through uh, what has been an incredible week of Eucharistic celebration here, uh, and I'll, I'll give I'll give a short plug for this because oh, there's nothing I love talking about more. As you may know from listening to past shows, uh, listeners, that uh, Dan Demite and I we work with a with a, a ministry organization called Damascus in Centerburg, Ohio. Um, we are a, a missionary movement. We have a, a young adult missionary community here. We have 46 missionaries in formation. And every week, week in and week out, our work is to actually introduce young people to an experience of encounter with the saving power of Jesus. So uh, we, we, we work to awaken and empower and equip a generation um, to live the adventure of the Catholic faith through world-class programs in an environment of encounter, that environment of encounter with Jesus. And... Uh, for years, uh, we at Damascus here in Centerburg, since 2015, when, when this place was constructed, we have been yearning uh, in our hearts that our Eucharistic Lord Jesus would be present here with us perpetually. And um, we are not a church, so we've been, we've been waiting with eager anticipation, and we have uh, been waiting in hope that our bishop would, uh, would see fit to name Damascus as a suitable place for the Lord to be reserved. And we're going to wait for a big round of applause because just um, just a, a matter of days ago, weeks ago, uh, we received an official indication that Bishop Brennan of the Diocese of Columbus, Ohio, has named Damascus as an official oratory of the Diocese of Columbus, which means that uh, we are permitted now to host our, our Eucharistic Lord here in, on site in our beautiful St. Francis Adoration Chapel 24-7 for all of eternity. Let's hear it for Jesus, our Eucharistic Lord. Um, man, I can't, I can't share how, how exciting this is. I know you guys are pumped. Um, yeah. Our missionaries have just, we, we have, oh, you, you should see, you should experience the joy um, that, 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 that has been in this place this week. And uh, in order to celebrate it in style, we have we've 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 dedicated this entire week to to an actual uh, a Eucharistic celebration where for for the duration of this week, um, starting last Monday and and all the way through next Monday, we're, uh, we have perpetual exposition in our chapel and we've opened it up to our entire community, both missionaries and alumni and board members and anybody in the entire United States of America and beyond 
who wants to come out and and just join with us and celebrate mm-hmm. the the ever present grace of our Eucharistic Lord. So, um, friends, I'm sorry you missed the party. This show will be airing after uh, after the Eucharistic celebration is is complete. Um, but it's uh, it's so good to be able to share the fruit of what God is doing here. Amen. 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 Christopher and Mary Sarah, do you want to just give a, a brief little uh, insight into what this week's been like for you? And and then I'll um, jump back in. <laughs> well, just as you were talking, Aaron, I think a really important place to start is um, the moment that we found out. Um, and so, yeah, I'll just personally, when, when you shared um, with just a small number of missionaries um, that the bishop made Damascus an official oratory, um, there's a number of responses in the room. And the moment that you said it, I just remember being so taken back. Um, like literally taken back. Like uh, You fell, oh, o- you yeah, fell yeah. over in your chair. <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. Um, a year ago, this past, like October of 2018, mm-hmm. um, I remember driving in a car on the way back from lunch with friends back to Damascus. And... Um, we were just, the missionaries often love to praise and worship in the car when we're going places, and we were doing exactly that. And in that moment when I was praying, I felt very called to uh, just intercede that Jesus would make his permanent home at Damascus. And so we just started doing that for a while. And um, it was just such a powerful moment um, for the people in the car. We we were crying. We were interceding more than, I mean, more passionately than I've really ever experienced before. And... Um, just speaking to him really um, honestly and saying, like, Jesus, uh, if you make your home here, like, you will be worshipped rightly. Like, we love you. And um, we will worship you. Um, and you will always be the center. And just making these, um, like, commitments to him. And um, that just all flooded back into my mind the moment that you said um, that Jesus is making his home here. And I started to cry um, just because is I was I was experiencing that and then ex- like I was just thinking about the number of other people that have been a lot been a part of the Damascus story far longer than I that have been praying and interceding and um, desiring this and it's just it's a beautiful fulfillment yeah praise yeah. the Lord Mary Sarah jump in and give us give us just a, a little brief snapshot that's amazing I remember back when I was trying to decide um, if I was called to be a missionary with Damascus, my senior year of college, and I was on the phone with a current missionary, and we were talking about having Jesus in the Eucharist, and she was like, yeah, it's it's very challenging sometimes because he's not always here, especially if there's not a retreat going on, and that like hit my heart, and it just hurt, and I remember last year, um, sometimes we wouldn't know whether or not Jesus was going to be in the chapel in the morning because there were certain <laughs> rules of he could be in during this time, he couldn't be, and I remember like walking up the hill through the snow and I'm like, Oh, please Jesus be there. And like walking in and seeing the candle not lit. And I was like, Oh, this is terrible. And (laughs) is it a quote from St. John Vianney that um, really hit me when I was younger was there's nothing so great as the Eucharist. If God had something more precious, he would have given it to us. And I think, yeah, it's amazing. And it just over the years with Eucharistic encounters, the Lord made that like the most precious thing in my heart is the Eucharist. And so just at the beginning of this week, we actually had a procession from our like club room where we have a lot of our programming into the chapel. And it brought me back to two summers ago. We consecrated um, 
the building at that time before the summer started to our Eucharistic Lord. And we actually had a procession around our whole building with the Eucharistic Jesus and like all these missionaries walking around and singing and like following him and like literally just crying. Um, yeah, and it was, it was so beautiful. And I was brought back to that when we processed Jesus into the chapel and I was just crying because I'm like, he's never leaving. Like this is his home. This is his place. So yeah, it's been so beautiful. Oh, that's great. Okay. Um, <laughs> friends, I hope, I hope we've whetted your appetites today, um, for, for more. So Christopher and Mary Sarah are going to be sharing more about their own personal Eucharistic encounters. I'll be sharing more about some of the history of, of what brought us here today. And, um, we're going to, we're going to catch up with you after a very brief break. So thank you for joining with us today. You're, once again, you're listening to Beyond Damascus, a co-production of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the global EWTN Catholic Radio Network. We'll be back shortly. God bless you. EWTN, teaching the truth. I'm a cab driver, and uh, I drive only at night. Many of my customers are single mothers, people with negative attitudes and, you know, rude, and some of them are just plain nasty people. Uh, And I just want to praise God for this radio station, and I want to use it as a tool to introduce Jesus Christ to those who may not know Him or refuse to accept Him. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. EWTN is now on Twitter. Get short, timely messages from EWTN on your computer or cell phone. It's easy to stay up to date on a wide variety of topics. Pro-life news, Vatican announcements, catechesis, apologetics, the latest EWTN programming, and more. You can link to EWTN on Twitter from our homepage or go to twitter.com slash EWTN. At work, at home, at school, and on the road. Stay connected to your world with EWTN's Twitter page. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us after the break. Once again, this is Beyond Damascus. I'm your host, Aaron Richards, today, and I'm joined with my guest co-hosts, Christopher Finneman and Mary Sarah Mankhouse. Welcome back, uh, Mary Sarah and Christopher. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, just a little background, friends. So, listeners, uh, Mary Sarah and Christopher, uh, they are in both in their second year of missionary work here at Damascus, they're working as full-time missionaries with us, and man, it's it has been an absolute joy uh, working with you and, and and planning this time with you. And um, I shared before the break, uh, friends, that that uh, at the at the heart, it seems like at the heart of every uh, in, in, uh, you encounter with Jesus that I see in our in our young adult missionaries, that at the heart of it is is a Eucharistic um, a Eucharistic story, and. Uh, wouldn't that be so fitting that if the Lord wanted to impact the world, he would do it through his sacraments? Um, so I, I thought we'd kick off maybe, um, Mary Sarah, would you would you share with us uh, what is, g- give me like a, a three or four minute version of what was what was your initial um, encounter with, with the Lord's love in the Blessed Sacrament? Oh my gosh. I remember so vividly I was on a retreat, mm-hmm. probably when I was... Um, like 11 or 12 at this point, And we had a night of Eucharistic adoration, just yeah. silence in front of the Lord. And I remember going in and I, at this point had not had too much um, exposure to Eucharistic adoration. So I remember going in, I'm like, okay, this is like kind of familiar and kneeling down and looking at everyone around me. And they were all like gazing up and like some people start crying around me. And I was like, yeah. Oh, this is bizarre. <laughs> I was like, why are, why are people crying? And 
I remember, I don't even remember what the reflection was, but they read a reflection on the Eucharist and the yeah. love of Jesus and how he put himself like, in, or like he is bread. He becomes bread for us. And it just hit my heart. And like that night, I like, and so I started crying at this point. I'm like, oh my gosh, you love me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to give everything to you. And I remember for two weeks after that point, I could not stop crying. I like, I went home with my family <laughs> and we, <laughs> we lived in a place where there was like woods in the back. And, um, that's what you get listeners. I hope you're excited. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I wasn't understanding. You will never stop crying. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I remember walking out in the woods. Oh, it's beautiful. And it, like crying and trying to pray the rosary mm-hmm. and just crying out for the Lord. And I like some, at some point during that time, um, I had an encounter of like Jesus just wrapping his arm around me and it was, just, it was just him telling me like, I want to be with you forever. And I became so hungry for the Eucharist and going to mass after that became so much different because it was like, it was his personal love for me when, um, he was held up and it was the, like, this is the lamb of God. It was like, he sacrificed himself for me. Yeah. And so I think, that that Eucharistic encounter actually just made everything so much more personal. So it wasn't yep. just hearing about it for everyone anymore. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. So good, Christopher. Oh, man. <laughs> um, when you asked me that question, the first thing that pops in my mind is my first year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated from a Catholic high school and um, went off to college and in this season of like new independence, right? I'm out of my, my family's house and out of the like Catholic school environment. You have to like choose the sacraments um, and you have to choose um, how you live your life. And I remember it was about halfway through the fall semester and I had an amazing roommate um, who was a missionary for two years before college. Yeah. And um, I would just express, I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't really know about the Eucharist. Um, why is it such a priority? And we we had this uh, really rich conversation, but I ended up, I left the conversation still not like totally convinced of the Eucharist or the real presence. And he gave me this book um, called Seven Secrets of the Eucharist by Vinnie Flynn. Um, and so he, he left me with that book in the dorm room and then he went to daily mass and then he went to lunch at the, the school cafeteria and then came back. <laughs> and by the time that he came back, I didn't leave the room. and I read the entire book. And he walked in the room, and I, <laughs> I slammed the book down on the bed, and I said, it's real. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and that, friends, I, <laughs> is how Christopher Finneman has lived his life since that day. <laughs> I'm very matter-of-fact. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just read it. Um, I finished the first chapter and the second, and it just it, – it was so rich, and it, it just – it really remedied the questions and the restlessness of my soul as I was make, making my Catholicism – more of my own and taking ownership over it. Yeah. Um, and it just was very clear. So it, I guess my, my, my encounter, my first like encounter with the Eucharist was through this book. And after that, I remember my first daily mass after that, I was just, I, I, I didn't quite know why we weren't like crawling up the aisle. I felt like we should have been crawling on our hands and knees up the aisle. And, um, I mean, I had been a daily mass, um, before this moment, but it was all different. Everything mm-hmm. was different with this new reality in my mind. I started re- receiving on my tongue after that. People were like, "Why are you receiving?" And, uh, all these questions, and because my demeanor, my whole demeanor, changed mm-hmm. because I knew it was him. And um, 
yeah, it changes because he's everything. It just it was the center. It became the center and the highest priority. Amen. Oh, that's so good. Um, you know, I, 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 one of my first experience of faith, I think as, as a, as a, as a child myself was, was through the Eucharist. I remember, um, my most vivid memories, uh, my, my brothers and sisters and I were raised in, in an awesome Catholic family. And I guess two things would vie for, uh, for the, the most impactful religious memories that I had. First was my, my parents forcing us to go to family rosary, which felt like it was just the longest thing in the entire world. And now I'd love torturing my own children with family yes. rosaries. Um, but it was uh, my mom and dad. Um, my mom and dad uh, had, a, had a transformation of their faith when I was in middle school. And um, it, that kind of manifested through this commitment to, that they felt God had placed on their hearts to bring perpetual Eucharistic adoration to our home parish. So um, I, I, I don't know, friends, if any of you have ever had any experience of like starting a new ministry in the church. Um, but it, I remember, I remember the, the time and the energy and the passion and the tears that were shed over the process of building this program of Eucharistic adoration at our parish. And, uh, and, and for, for so long, um, I don't, there was never any resentment in me, but there was this curiosity of like, gosh, is this, is this commitment that you're making actually worth it? Yeah. And then uh, I remember there were two experiences um, that, that really convicted me. The first happened in high school when uh, this was at Seton Parish in Pickerington, Ohio. And um, I, uh, I was a part of the high school youth group. And the, the high school youth group would regularly gather in, uh, in adoration Friday mornings at, I think it was 6 a.m., <laughs> Um, no, it was 5 a.m. We would do 5 oh to 6 because then, then I would get to school on time after that. So we would do 5 a.m. on Friday mornings and all of our high school youth group would go. And it was just this powerful time of prayer. And I realized that I was being super impacted by this, by this prayer time. And then one day randomly, I just started thinking to myself and I was like, hey, you know what? It was my mom who made this experience possible. And all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, thanks mom. Like, thank you for, thank you for sewing into me, even without knowing that you were sewing into me. Um, uh, and, and then the, the, the second encounter of, of kind of the, the impact of that, of those days of those years was, um, was later uh, in the celebration of, the ordination to the priesthood of a good close priest friend of mine, Father David Schock, where he shared with me that his call to the priesthood happened in that chapel at Seton Parish in Pickerington in wow. his in his holy hour. And in that moment, like those those pieces began to to click into place for me that oh my gosh, like the the uh the reverence and the dedication and the passion that my mom and my dad had toward our Eucharistic Lord when I was, you know, 10 or 11, had translated directly into this man of God wow. hearing a call to the priesthood, right? And um, and I, I think of that from time to time while, while we here at Damascus have the opportunity to put the pieces together and to build buildings and to dedicate oratories and to program events that put kids in the presence of Jesus. And... Um, you know, we could, guys, we, uh, listeners, we could go on for hours and hours and hours sharing the tremendous 
um, encounter moments of conversion that that the young people have have had here at Damascus, young young and uh, young in heart, right? Have had here at Damascus, um, and uh, you you would you would be amazed, and, and we actually we're going to share some of those. <laughs> Some of those, um, but, but so many of them happen, uh, happen, you know, the question is asked often of us, what is the secret sauce? Why, why is Damascus seeing success, um, in such a profound way where, you know, not to play comparison, but, but maybe, maybe some other things are not seeing success or, or, you know, why is Damascus seeing success when the national, uh, statistics would indicate that we should be losing kids at a rate of, you know, 10 times per year. Right. Um, and the, the, the reason the secret to our success is no secret. The secret is Jesus, right? The secret is the sacraments. The secret is, is, is trusting in, in the heart of our church, trusting in our Eucharistic Lord, our source and summit, um, and believing the words of Jesus, right? Uh, when, when, when he, when he speaks to us and believing that, um, that, that his heart is the greatest gift and is, is something that's going to transform the lives of, of anybody who, when, when you eat the Eucharist, you eat fire, right? <laughs> that, that our lives will be transformed from the inside out. And, uh, and that's the experience we're having here at Damascus. And, uh, and I'm, I'm so excited to share that with you today. So little historical background, um, once again, uh, so the, the St. Francis Eucharistic Adoration Chapel at Damascus is now an official oratory of the Diocese of Columbus. Um, if, if you're familiar with the story of, of Damascus, I want to share it with you briefly. This, this is the last testimony I'll give before I ask Christopher and Mary Sarah to kind of brag on what Jesus is doing here. Um, but so Damascus started out of out of Catholic youth summer camp. Uh, we were a little grassroots program that that, that began in a, a parish in in Columbus, Saint Andrew Parish in Columbus. Our first year back in two thousand one, we had sixty three campers, and um, and uh, we we grew and grew and grew year after year. And uh, and the one consistent conviction that we had all the way back from year one, um, I guess there were two. They kind of go hand in hand. Was our was our commitment to the Eucharist and and our Blessed Mother, and um, uh, you know the 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 one the 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 only remaining consistent program piece. Uh, believe it or not, we weren't masters of youth ministry programming back in <laughs> two thousand. I could tell you stories, and they would make you cringe. Um, uh, but the you know the, the the one consistent program piece that we that we've always maintained is our commitment to adoration of the Lord Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And, um, I remember even back then, like the, the, the few, um, truly life-changing moments of encounter that I remember from those early years of summer camp were those times where we knelt in adoration before the Eucharist and, um, oh, so many, so many good stories, but, but for years, uh, Jesus, uh, we, we tried to give the Lord the greatest place of honor, but the reality is when you're renting camps and traveling around the country in a van, uh, it's, it's challenging to find a beautiful adoration chapel at all of these, you know, non-Catholic camp facilities. So, uh, so very, very literally our adoration chapel would be, you know, a broom closet here or, an abandoned cabin in the woods there, you know, the one that was no longer safe to actually put campers in because the roof was falling in or, uh, maybe just the, 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 the corner of 
the mess hall here that was we we would always try to set apart the chapel by like hanging bed sheets on the walls, right? <laughs> to somehow make it more profound and beautiful. And uh, the, the, when we began our architectural studies for construction at Damascus, the first thing we said was that uh, was that Jesus has to be the center, mm-hmm. that the chapel has to be the center. And friends, if you haven't visited Damascus here in Centerburg, you will. Um, when you do, you'll see that when you when you open the front doors to our to our beautiful lodge on the top of the hill here. Um, that that Jesus is the first thing you'll see, right? Um, our our chapel is is adorned with a with a beautiful, um, a beautiful tabernacle. To say it's a tabernacle would be uh, would be a little misleading. <laughs> our our tabernacle is a sixteen foot tall, um, you know, monolith from uh, from a church that that was rescued in the in the in the eighteen hundreds, and uh, and it's oh, it's such a beautiful piece, um, and. And the Lord Jesus is there, uh, and there's a beautiful little alcove where where he's reserved in the Blessed Sacrament for adoration. Um, that's where you'll find our missionaries uh, kneeling in front of the Eucharistic Lord this week. And anytime you visit Damascus, that's where you'll see him too. So uh, we're so excited. Um, if you can't sense over the radio waves the the smiles on, on these three faces, uh, I, I hope that in sharing some of these testimonies that, that you too will be reminded of that moment of encounter. Remember, uh, everything that we share today, every, every encounter that we have with Jesus, the same Jesus that we encounter here at Damascus is the same Jesus that Paul encountered that first time and is the same Jesus that, that, that is giving you an invitation to come and spend time with him in, in your chapel at your church or uh, even, even on Sunday Mass with your family. So, um, friends, I, I wonder if we might just uh, brag on the Lord a little bit and uh, and share some of the most um, some of the most profound stories that 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 we can recall of of just moments of of being able to see and um, and and be blown away by the by the encounters that these that, that young people are having with our with our Lord. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> um, hey, Aaron, as you were talking about that. What the story that I recall that comes to mind is from this past summer at Catholic Youth Summer Camp. Venite me, come follow me. Um, there was a, an evening when we had to be inside. I think it was the weather was not um, preferable outside. And um, it was a normal night, except for that. <laughs> um, where it was it was a time of Eucharistic adoration, and um, we had done we had, we had a talk and we had dramas and great content on stage, and then it came time to actually have adoration start. And so, um, me I was I was a worship leader this past this past summer. The band starts playing just really simple music, and Jesus walks in the back of the room, and all the campers are kneeling. Mm-hmm. And there's this is my favorite. So in the center of the room was this kind of like um, big, like um, pyramid altar type thing where Jesus would go on top. And so all the youth would be um, facing Jesus in the very center of the room instead of facing the stage, which is really, really nice um, because um, it's so it's so good to have the youth like focused on Jesus. Um and not on the worship band. Yeah. So, um, they're f- they're facing towards this altar that doesn't yet have Jesus on it, and Jesus walks in the back of the room. The priest brings in the monstrance, 
And I just felt it in my gut in that moment that this night was very different, um, that there was something different in the air, um, and that the youth were going to respond in like a really beautiful way. And so he walks in, and by now I would have started a song, I would have started singing something, but we just kept playing music uh-huh. just because I was sensing from God like that was enough. They didn't really need words right now. Mm. And without prompt, these middle schoolers start worshiping Jesus and their hands are in the air and they reached out towards him. And it just became abundantly clear in that moment that they were aware that this was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like they were aware that this was everything, that this moment was amazing and, and, and priceless. And so he's walking around and then we start singing a song and these youth start encountering Jesus. I see some youth with their hands over their hearts um, in tears. I see some youth like with radiant joy on their face. I see some youth singing aloud, carefree, not really Mm. (laughs) caring what they sound like. And at one point, um, some youth start like laughing with joy, like they're being touched by the joy of God. Um, but the moment that I knew that this this night was very, very different, <laughs> that like really just changed, that impacted me, and this is why I'm sharing it as a worship leader, was when that particular song ended and we were going to move on to a new song. But the youth kept singing. The music stopped. But the youth kept singing the words. They wouldn't mm. stop singing the chorus. They wouldn't stop singing the refrain. And it was so profound because I had never, I had never seen middle schoolers take worship into their own hands like that. I would never seen 300 middle schoolers um, take like their worship of Jesus into their own hands. And the band and I didn't really know what to do. I was like, well, <laughs> I guess, I guess we'll just keep playing that same song that we were doing. But Without you know one of the youth, without the youth like telling me, I just knew that it wasn't about the song. There's middle schoolers that love worship songs. That mm-hmm. that's very true. It was just so so clear that it was about him, and they just didn't yeah. want to stop singing to him. And so I was just I had never experienced. That. I was so taken back, and uh, it just became what I learned that day. Basically, as a worship leader, is that like I just need to get out of the way. Uh huh. Like all I'm I I sound really pretty awesome, but like it's just about him. That's awesome. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Okay, that's good. So I, I had to bite my tongue a little bit when um, when you were speaking because I remembered a really funny story. <laughs> I hope this is appropriate. <laughs> I feel like I know exactly what you're about to say. I feel like... So uh, Christopher was... Man, if, the, if this... Listeners, I apologize if this scandalizes you. Um, so uh, we have we have a beautiful altar that we... That we um, have have always for for years displayed our Eucharistic Lord um, to place the place the monstrance upon, and it's it's kind of like a, a pyramid type uh, collection of um, wooden uh, platforms, right? And I made it. Uh, my friend, my friend Andy, and I made it probably in two thousand four, right? And uh, back when I was a cheeky little like seventeen year old, eighteen year old. Um, at one point, somebody asked me what this thing was called that we were building, oh. and I, uh, I just, um, well, I, 
half jokingly, half um, sarcastically responded that it was a ziggurat. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you under, if you know what a ziggurat is, but a ziggurat is a fancy word for an Aztec temple on which um, human beings were sacrificed back in <laughs> like, <laughs> the the ancient ancient prehistoric Maya times, right? <laughs> and uh, so I, I said this totally in jest, and then. Um, and then Jesus forgive me. And then every uh, every time anybody would ask about it, they would just like I thought jokingly refer to it as a ziggurat, right? Um, lo and behold, some like ten years later, we're still we're still calling this thing the ziggurat. It's now no longer a joke. Now people actually believe like this is the liturgical <laughs> title. <laughs> It's like, dang it. To the point where I had somebody come up to me uh, a couple couple of years ago and... Uh, Scandalize or something. And, and no, it was just like uh, with with the innocence of like a of a, a tiny little doe, right? Looked me in the eye <laughs> and asked me where, uh, you know, uh, the, like the history of the liturgical use of the ziggurat. And I was like, what are oh. you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that a whole generation of young people now think oh, that no. a, a ziggurat is an authentic Catholic uh, liturgical tool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. It's not okay. It's, it's not. not. It was everyone a, listening. So I've stopped calling it that. Um, but if you were one of those campers who who was scandalized, I apologize. <laughs> Good job, Aaron. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Mary Sarah, can you bring us back off that off the edge of that cliff? Uh, oh my gosh, that's so funny because I might have been one of those people. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm so no. sorry. Wow, <laughs> it's okay. Okay, so something really cool that we do here, um, our kitchen staff during the summer spends a lot of time, um, as do some of the other staffs, but spends a lot of time in intentional intercession. Yeah. And so my first summer here, we were praying in the chapel, and I remember this one of the male counselors that was in there too, he like jumps up and he runs over to our leader and he's like, we need to have adoration when we pray with the kids tonight. Hmm. And she's like, I'll pass the message along. And so lo and behold, that night, uh, Jesus was present when the counselors and the staff were praying with the kids in their small groups. And everyone was like, that was insane. That was amazing. And ever since then, um, Jesus has been present in the Eucharist as wow. we, yeah, when we pray with the kids. And so during our retreats, we also get the opportunity to pray with our small groups. Yeah. And there was a particular retreat last year where we had this little tiny school come in and there was 12 kids that came. <laughs> it was their seventh grade class. And I was co-counseling with one of the other missionaries and throughout they had no real concept of what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus at this point. They were awesome kids, but they like just had not been exposed to people talking about praying and hearing the Lord in prayer or anything. And so um, in the mornings, uh, both mornings of that retreat, we were teaching them about Lexio Divina, which was really beautiful. And they were definitely like biting, but not getting um, so deep into it yet. And so I remember going into that night for prayer. I'm like, oh, this will be like really beautiful and good. Mm -hmm. And we begin to pray with our small group. And all of a sudden, all of their eyes are glued to the Eucharist and they're all sobbing. Mm. And myself and other missionary look at each other and we're like, okay, our prayers aren't like out of the ordinary, like this is normal what we do, but they're just responding there. And yeah. then they're just kneeling on the ground. And normally the kids are like kind of looking at you. Like it could be a little bit awkward. They're looking at you in the eyes. They're not sure where they can look, but they're just all glued. Um, 
to the wow. Eucharist. And so we get to small group after and they're all still crying and they're just sharing these incredible like images and um, things that the Lord revealed to them. And they were all talking about, they're like, we saw heaven, we saw heaven in the Eucharist. And, we, and the counselor and I were looking at each other like, what? That's amazing. What did it look like? <laughs> Tell me. I remember after that, we're walking um, we had a bonfire that night, so we're walking to the bonfire, and one of the girls is um, standing back, a little chatting with me, and she's like, "I, I just, I looked at the Eucharist, and I saw his eyes. I saw Jesus's eyes." And she starts wow. crying again. She said, "I saw the whole world, and I saw all of the opportunities and different things, and I saw me in it." And then she starts crying, and mm. she's like, "He loves me. He has everything for me." And she turns and she looks at me, and she goes, "When was the first time you saw his eyes?" <laughs> I'm like getting chills right now. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what? And uh, it was incredible because they had beautiful. no context. Yeah. They had absolutely no context of people's Eucharistic encounters or seeing the Lord's eyes in the Eucharist or anything. But he, he just wanted to reveal himself to them and their hearts were open. Mm. And no longer when we were praying the next morning, they weren't like talking about themselves in math class. They were talking about him. Wow. And like how their lives were going to change. And I so want to see them again and hear how things have been going. But they like made plans to have a like prayer club before school in the morning. And yeah, just the joy on their faces. Oh, that's so beautiful. Under. Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing that story. Wow. Man, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I think be- behind um, what am I trying to say? Every encounter that we have um, points to Jesus, and every encounter with Jesus is, is at its heart an encounter with the Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus, um, I was I was teaching our, our second year students just last week in our time of formation that um, it's it's not okay for us to say that Jesus is in the Blessed Sacrament, right? The Blessed Sacrament isn't like this thing that contains Jesus. Um, Jesus is the Blessed Sacrament. When we when we when we look to the crucifix. We are we are looking to an image of the Blessed Sacrament. When we look to, uh, when, when you know when we when we wear that cross around our neck, that 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 is a that is a sign of the Blessed Sacrament. And when we when we when we go before our Lord Jesus in a time of adoration, or or even most perfectly when we receive Him at Mass, that that we are receiving we are receiving on our tongue the same Jesus that spoke the world into being, right? We're seeing the same Jesus that that uh, that healed the sick, that that raised the dead. We're seeing the same Jesus that was born in a manger, and uh, and, and that that is the Lord that we receive. And just like He transformed uh, Saint Paul on that road to Damascus, right? Just like when uh, when when Saint Paul looked upon Him, he was blinded by by a light too. When we look at him, we see his eyes, right? When we look upon the Eucharist, we hear, we, we hear his voice. And I, I like to, I like to teach here at, at Damascus and in our retreats that um, so often for us, we, we've come to believe the lie that God is distant and that God is silent. And it's not a matter of the fact that we as Christians, we, we lack the capacity to actually hear him, right? It's not, it's not the fact that, that there is, um, some kind of a veil or some kind of a of a uh, a barrier between us and him. When we look at the Eucharist, right, we can see the eyes of Jesus. When we when we when we pray and when we when we listen and when we open our hearts, we can hear the voice of God. And the the reality is that for so many of us, we have just we've forgotten what it means. 
We've forgotten what it sounds like. We've forgotten, we've forgotten what, it, what it looks like to look upon the eyes of Jesus. And sometimes we just, we need to be reminded again. Uh, we need to be reminded again what, is, what his voice sounds like. We need to be reminded again what his heart looks like. And, uh, and so many times it, it, what it requires of us is to step out of the ordinary and to step back in and to give him a point in time and to say, you know what, Jesus, for this next hour, I give, I give everything to you. I give you all my distractions. I give you all my focus. I give you all my time. I give you all my energy. Um, I've, I've, I've been, uh, I've been amazed by, so Damascus, uh, <laughs> Damascus Centerberg, not, not the Damascus of scripture is an hour from Columbus, right? Just about. And I've been amazed at, at the number of people this week who have gotten in their cars and driven an hour to spend an hour <laughs> through terrible only, weather, only to yeah. jump back in their car and to drive another hour home. Um, and it's like, man, I applaud your efforts. I'm having a hard time walking up the hill. Uh-huh. Right. And, uh, and, and to see, you know, that the Lord is honored by the sacrifice that we make. And, and when, when you make a statement with your life listeners, and when you make a statement with your life and say, I, I'm busy, I can't afford this time, but I'm going to give it to him. I'm, I'm going to give you the authority, Lord, and the opportunity to speak into my heart again. And I'm going to trust and I'm going to listen to your voice. Oh, man, that's a prayer that can change things. Yeah. Amen? Amen. 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 Um, friends, we're going to take a short break and we're going to come right back and, uh, and, and we're going we're gonna to maybe share a couple more fun stories and then, and then give you a little bit of a, a, a challenge um, so, that, so that we can bring this home. Uh, God forbid that the stories of, of Eucharistic encounter that you hear, that you hear here, uh, that, that you'd believe they're, they are something that's, that's special or reserved to this place. No, um, the Lord humbles himself. The Lord Jesus humbles himself, it, it, becoming bread, becoming wine, so that we can find him anywhere, right? Becoming the most common of, of form so that we can find him anywhere that we don't we don't have to afford great things we don't have to we don't have to seek out great chapels we don't have to we, we don't have to follow after great people to find the greatest among us so once again you're listening to beyond damascus i hope these i hope these stories of of young people encountering our eucharistic lord have been inspiring if they haven't then you don't have a heart right no i'm joking <laughs> oh my um, goodness <laughs> that guy okay oh, we'll, we'll cut that out in post uh now i'm uh we're, we're blessed to be with you thank you for joining us today and um we will be right back after the break once again you're listening to beyond damascus on saint gabriel radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We'll, we'll see you again shortly. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross healed all our wounds. A lot of people say, well, I can do what I want. I can commit any sin. Jesus saved me. You can't be presumptuous. Whole, holy God cannot allow you to sin or give you the right to sin by dying for you. That doesn't make any sense. For more information on Mother Angelica, visit Religious Catalog at EWTNRC.com. Looking for a 2020 view on how Catholics are voting in the upcoming election? EWTN News and Real Clear Opinion Research are partnering to bring you clear and concise data on where the nation stands on issues, 
candidates, policies, and more by surveying Americans, including Catholics like you. And it's available now at EWTNnews.com forward slash poll. All right, and welcome back. Thanks for joining us again after the break. I'm your host today, Aaron Richards, and you're listening to Beyond Damascus, where encounter meets mission. Uh, once again, we're, we are we are just on the on the tail end of what's been an amazing show, um, looking at the heart of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and how His commitment, His promise, transforms our lives. Um, we've just got a few more minutes here. Uh, on location at Damascus Catholic Mission Campus in Centerburg, Ohio. Once again, I'm joined here in our uh, pretend studio back in the sacristy closet at Damascus with Christopher Finneman and Mary Sarah Mankhouse. Um, once again, so uh, guys, I introduced you earlier, but um, Christopher and Mary Sarah uh, are serving with us as full-time missionaries at Damascus, and particularly uh, it's it's really neat for for them to be here with us today in this show because the two of them are part of the worship leadership team um, here at Damascus. So, have you ever wondered at Mass what? Don't don't spend time wondering this. You'll never pay attention at Mass again. What the church looks like from the vantage point of the priest, right? You have to sit up there. You get to watch. You get to watch the people pray. You get to watch all of the. You get to watch you fall asleep during his homily, <laughs> right? And um, for for Christopher and for Mary Sarah and for myself, um, from time to time, to be able to actually see on the faces of young people. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is happening play by play as they come into this moment of realization that Jesus is real and he loves me and and this love is going to transform my life is transforming my life um it's such a it's such a powerful moment it's such a beautiful beautiful opportunity um i'm so thankful every time i get to i get to spend time in that place so uh Friends, we've been sharing some of our most powerful uh, stories of encounter with the heart of Jesus today, with the Eucharistic heart of Jesus. Um, and I wonder, we'll wrap up with a couple more fun stories of of what we've seen um, kids encountering the the powerful, transformative love of Jesus in the in the Blessed Sacrament. And then um, I, I hope to close the show today with uh, with just a, a call for you to consider. Um, to consider stepping into uh, a renewed commitment to to faith and for prayer, um, particularly in, in in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. So uh, there's the end of the story before we get there, foreshadowing. Um, but but right now, Mary Sarah, uh, you've got another story for us. Will you, will you jump in and, um, and share with share with us one of your one of your favorites? Yeah, another time that I vividly remember was we had a Eucharistic pr- procession outside and we had just been at the lake and we were processing back to the lodge and it was really cool we had things set up an altar set up um right in front of the lodge and so we processed all these kids up and then it came the part they're all looking at us um we had them kneel down on the gravel <laughs> and most yes. of them had their t- most oh of them goodness. did have towels sacrifice <laughs> good <laughs> mortification <laughs> But I I had forgotten my towel that day, so I chose to kneel on my shoes. But I remember there was one girl in my group who had a um, had a knee injury when she came into camp that weekend. So I yeah. looked over at her to make sure she like knew. Okay, it's all right for you to stand. Uh-huh. But I saw her kneeling, and I'm like, Oh, what are you doing <laughs> kneeling on gravel? And so. Uh, we get to small group later, and I actually it was really cool because that group I had been praying for them all week, and they 
um, weren't really getting into any of the talks or anything so far that week. They kind of were like, eh, like I'm just here to have fun. And I was like, Lord, please encounter them. Um, on Wednesday night. Yeah. And so we get to small group after and I could see on their faces, they were just glowing from spending time with Jesus. And they were also excited to tell me like what they had heard in their prayer time and how some of the mon- St. monologues had affected them. And we get to the girl who I knew had the knee injury Yep. and I'm like, okay, she was literally kneeling on gravel. Like what was going on? <laughs> and she's like, Jesus healed me. She's like, my knee doesn't hurt at all anymore. You're... <laughs> and I was like, you were literally kneeling on gravel. And she's oh, like, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And she said when she knelt down and like looked at Jesus, she just felt like a warm tingling come over her wow. whole body. And that pain that was in her knee because of her injury and the fact that we were like kneeling on gravel was like completely gone. And she was like, I just feel so loved and in love yes. right now. And that like was obviously the springboard for the rest of the week and, um, falling in love with him but it was just beautiful because sometimes as a counselor it's like oh what can i do what can i do and watching them just kneel before the lord like he has everything he'll minister to them i don't have to do much of anything like he healed her knee so it was just like really it was even beautiful for me to see like yeah wow jesus you have everything like i don't have to worry i I can give it all over to you i don't have to strive i don't have to fight for this that's so cool thank you jesus Man, uh, my favorite my favorite testimonies of healings are the one when Jesus just does it himself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if only if it was ever that easy. Okay. And yeah. is when he's present, heaven is present, and yeah, there's amen. healing in heaven, yes. so we don't really need to. Ah, uh, that's so good. Yeah. Every <laughs> every gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Every manifestation of God's presence, every every healing, every conversion, every moment of restoration and forgiveness. It is, it's just a revelation of Jesus, yeah. right? It's just a revelation of his compassion. It's, it's just a revelation of his love, which is, which is eternity. Amen. Which Amen. is, which is everything we could ever desire. Oh man, that's so fun. That's so fun. Uh, okay. Listeners, here's my charge for you today. My prayer for you is that you would seek out the heart of our Eucharistic Lord. Yeah. Uh, find find a place. The place is at your parish. Find a local parish where, where, where adoration is present. Gosh, come up to Damascus and join us here. Do it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there's no... Jesus is calling you. He's calling you in the chapel, and he's asking you, would you spend an hour with me? Would you give an hour to me? And, and, and my prayer in faith, Jesus, is that you would come into our lives and that you would teach us again who you are that you'd break down every barrier to hearing your voice, you'd break down every barrier to seeing your face, and that and that through the gift that you've given to us in the Eucharist, that you would come to meet us again. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, in the name of the Father, and the Son, Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Mary Sarah, for joining us today. Thank you, Aaron. Um, friends, have a blessed day. Uh, enjoy the rest of your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. And, and, and we hope you'll join us again soon on Beyond Damascus. Once again, the show where encounter meets mission. You can catch this show wherever podcasts are found if you search Beyond Damascus. Also, you can head over to um, the St. Gabriel Radio website. Saint Gabriel, uh, Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio. We're carried across the global EWTN Radio Catholic Radio Network I, I am so excited to see you again soon that I'm stumbling over my words. Gosh, have a great week, and, uh, and we'll see you next time. God bless.